Jesus took Peter, John, and James and went up the mountain to pray. While he was praying, his face changed in appearance, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were conversing with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his exodus that he was going to accomplish in Jerusalem. Peter and his companions had been overcome by sleep, but becoming fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As they were about to part from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But he did not know what he was saying. While he was still speaking, a cloud came and cast a shadow over them, and they became frightened when they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my chosen son. Listen to him. After the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. They fell silent and did not at that time tell anyone that what they had seen. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Within any story, whether it is in film or even within a book, a, an important literary tool used in order to inform us about why a particular character makes a certain decision or why they act in a certain way is always the use of the flashback. The flashback to childhood memory or a memory of a couple years ago or some traumatic event within their lives to help us to situate ourselves and contextualize this person so we better understand who they are and why they act in the way they do. In today's gospel, we have a sort of flashback. That is, the appearance of Moses and Elijah are meant to indicate something to us, but then also to Peter, James, and John, as they are witness to the transfiguration. These two figures, Moses, who is the one that wrote the books of the law, the five first books of the Bible, that detail the story of Genesis, the story of the Exodus, and then also lay out the laws of Israel. And then Elijah we see also appear. And Elijah is considered the greatest of the prophets of Israel, the greatest of the prophet tradition within the history of Israel. And so they both embody the fullness of what the Old Testament is, what has come before Christ. But then they also both help to indicate to us who Jesus Christ is and what it is he is doing. And this is important. Because within Luke's gospel, we see him throughout the gospel. He is leaving Galilee, and he journeys towards Jerusalem, his exodus, his sort of wandering in the desert, as he seeks to bring the people of Israel, the lost tribes of Israel, to the promised land. Not the promised land between the Jordan and the Mediterranean Sea, but instead the promised land of heaven. The promised land that they only can get to by passing through or passing past sin itself. That Jesus' exodus that we hear he is going to accomplish in Jerusalem is his passion, death, and resurrection. It is the fullness of the mystery of our faith towards which Lent points, towards which Lent leads us. And it is this central mystery that then also holds the deepest mystery of who we are as human beings. 
Because then, as we hear the cloud at the very end of the gospel today, from the cloud, the Father speaks of his Son. This is my chosen Son. Listen to him. Our Lord's passion, death, and resurrection are not events that remain situated in the past. They're not events that simply happened 2,000 years ago. But instead, as a Christian people, we participate and are represented with it again and again. It is a reality that is never old, but instead remains ever new. By our own baptism, we too passed through the Red Sea. We passed from our life of sin, the original sin that was clung to our souls, has been set free. We pass through the waters of baptism to new life, to become a child of God. As the Lord says of Jesus, you are, this is my chosen son. So he says to each of us in our baptism, this is my chosen son or this is my chosen daughter. We are beloved of his. We are chosen. And we are not chosen because he's obligated, because we're worthy, or because we somehow deserve it. We are chosen because we are his. It simply is. That's it. We are loved. We are treasured. And we are cherished. That is the central fact of our faith. That is the central fact of our baptism. And this is the central reality that we participate in each Mass. But the passion, death, and resurrection of Christ is represented to us once again. His saving passion, the blood that he poured out for your sakes, my sakes, is presented to us once again. But we also receive a foretaste of the life to come as Peter, James, and John are privy to what is destined for each of us. The transfiguration is the glorification of Christ. It's meant to indicate who he is, yes. Fundamentally true, and that is reality as it is within this gospel story. That Christ is transfigured, his face is changed, and he becomes dazzling white. As we in our baptism, as we are cleansed in the confessional, are once again made dazzling white. And this is where it comes in. This is why this is relevant for us then. Because it's also a prefigurement of our destiny, of we who persevere in salvation. We who continue to trust in the Lord's promise of mercy again and again. The promise bestowed upon each of us in our baptism. That we too are to be transfigured one day. And this is the reality of who we are. I've also noticed even just from the fact that whenever we encounter someone that changes our life, especially I've noticed from my friends from high school, whenever they encounter their spouse, they look different now. They didn't have plastic surgery. They didn't become more God or get skinny or anything like that. They simply changed because they knew that they were loved and they knew they had someone to love. We too should be transfigured by the face of love that we encounter in the Most Holy Eucharist. And that little white host, which appears to be, well, simply a little white piece, is in reality Jesus Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity. The Christ who desires to transfigure you, who looks upon and gazes upon you with love, and desires to transform who you are, desires to transform the way that you look in many ways.
to let you know that you are loved and giving you someone to love. Because that is what he desires from you. It's for you to give your heart in return for all that he has done for you. That's it. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be some sort of spiritual professional athlete. You simply have to give him who you are. That's all he desires. That's all he came for was simply you. That's it. That is what this Lenten journey is about for us. That we are chosen sons and daughters. We are set aside. We are delighted in. We are treasured. That is what the meaning of all this is. And this is what the practice of Lent seek to do. By removing distractions from our lives, we are to open ourselves to that reality, to that spiritual reality of who we truly are, so that we can participate in this exodus, see where we're going, to not be like the Israelites. Let's go back to that life of sin. Let's go back to Egypt but instead to look towards the promised land. For even now, where we sometimes struggle to accept that we're sons or daughters, that we're beloved, that we're treasured, but instead look forward to that day on which passing over to heaven, passing over into the glory of God for all of eternity, we will be able to acknowledge with complete trust, with complete abandon and complete surrender that God is our Father, and we are his beloved children.